doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's, there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. That they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages, and at that point, it kind of converge into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old, and at that point, it'll like religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person. I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking. It's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy-looking being. Welcome. I'm your host. And this is uncomfortable. show my friends i am your host eric salagi if you've had an uncomfortable experience and you'd like to have it featured on the show please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com make sure to follow us on instagram and facebook both uncomfortable podcast 65 please remember to leave us a five-star rating and review where you can as this is the best way to get uncomfortable popping up in other listeners recommended feeds If you have not yet, please make sure to check the link in the show notes below for the Discord server. It's free, and it's been a very lively place as of late. It really has turned into a great way for like-minded people in this uncomfortable community to enjoy conversations with not only me, but with each other as well. If you're listening to this episode on its original drop date of February 14th, then happy Valentine's Day. To all of you out there, I hope you all have an opportunity to spend some time with that significant other on this day. If you do have someone special in your life, then maybe this is the perfect gift idea. I'm excited to announce again, down in the show notes, you'll find a link to the Uncomfortable Merchandise Store, which is now open, and we will be running the sale of items through March 5th. That's right, it only goes till March 5th, so get your orders in. We've got a lot of neat stuff there. Free to take a look at a number of different items. Surely you'll be able to find something comfortable that suits your taste. This is a big day, not only for being Valentine's Day, but more directly related to the show. It is the two-year anniversary of Uncomfortable. I cannot tell you how surreal it is to see the numbers for the audience of this show having grown. It is extremely humbling to see the continued growth week after week. I am so eternally grateful to each and every one of you. You may have noticed that there are now ads running at the beginning and at the end, and at times during the middle of the episodes. I know they're annoyance, 
but it helps keep the lights on here at Uncomfortable. The sponsors have absolutely no idea whether you listen to it or fast forward through it. Our show is now getting to the size where it is being recognized for its reach, and that's why the ads are running. I've got a great show lined up for you tonight with two gentlemen. They are joining me, Mr. Jack Bouchong and Mr. William Konkoleski. If those names do not sound familiar, give us a couple of minutes and it will become very apparent why these gentlemen are here and what we're going to talk about. That had to be one of my longer intros, but we had a lot to cover. But now I think we're ready. So, let's get into it. give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to Mr. Jack Bouchong and Mr. William Konkoleski. Gentlemen, welcome to Uncomfortable. Thank you so much. It's nice to have, uh, have be here uh, today. Great to Thank have you. you guys with me. Um, what an interesting time we have right now going on. Wow. Uh, I don't think this could be any more timely to do this, uh, to do this episode. Um, first of all, a huge thanks to both of you for making this happen. Um, I know we've been trying to do this for a couple of weeks, and uh, this is this is a big deal for me. It's you know two years. Um, if if somebody would have told me that I was going to make it past ten episodes, I would have said you're crazy. Uh, but we're here. We are at 104 episodes, and two years into it, and there's no signs of uh, stopping. So again, <clears throat> please accept my my thanks in in being here with me. Um, if you have been living under a rock, which I'm sure there might be a few of you, but uh, many of you will have recognized that in our news over the past couple of weeks, we've had some unusual things in our skies from a, uh, a data-collecting Chinese weather balloon to something that has become uh, very nondescript in the, uh, in the media. We have people from the Pentagon and the... Press secretaries for the for Washington, and they're all talking about this thing that was cylindrical shaped and it was grayish in color. And again, U.S. military was put up in the air and took it down. Now we have uh, a recovery effort, and you know the transparency that these people uh, in in the media and in the government that were treating the the Chinese balloon versus the lack of transparency that we're experiencing with this event. And now recently, uh, just like in the last hour, I received uh, a message from somebody off of Twitter that says NORAD is um, currently tracking two more, uh, two more unknowns in, in the skies. The reason I have you here is to talk about the events of 1994 <laughs> and how, how possibly, uh, you know, it, it, it was a part of a much larger, larger flap that didn't really get uh, talked about in the Unsolved Mysteries that you guys were both featured in. But, you know, I, what, what, what's going on? Bill, I mean, you got your finger on the pulse of this stuff for the most part with being the uh, Michigan director of MUFON um, currently. Sure. What are you getting like inundated with uh, people asking you, you know, just is any of this related to UFO stuff or 
Sure, there's a lot of buzz, I'll say, in the UFO community about whether this could potentially be something extraterrestrial, but or otherwise unknown. But the thing is, the the, the how I would best label this is theater. You know, if the government shot something down outside the coast of Alaska, my guess is that they would not say, the military would not say anything about it until maybe there were details that could be revealed. I think that um, this type of thing probably has happened countless times over the past several decades. Something um, that is unfriendly in our sky uh, we or near our coasts, and we shoot it down, and it never makes the media. The fact that they're saying so much about this up front is is really unusual. It just it that to me is the strangest thing about this is that they're talking about it without knowing what it is. You know, just say I'm I'm just going to be weird here, just for the sake of it. Maybe it was say like a, a private plane from people in Russia trying not to be conscripted into war, trying to fly over to Alaska, and then we shot it down. And then now we have to reveal that's what we did? I mean, just, I mean, if it's unknown, why why say anything? I don't get it. That, that's a good point. That's a good point. Jack, you know, I mean, your, uh, your experience with this stuff you know, admittedly, in in the episode of Unsolved Mysteries that you were featured in, uh, uh, which I'll be honest with you, I've been following UFO stuff for for a long time since I was a kid. Um, it's always been something a subject that has interested me, and it's never gone away. Um, I think I had an experience with one when I was around thirteen. I didn't see it. I only feel like I experience like the peripheral aspects of being around it. Um, it, it, the interest has just never left me. And, you know, now with the advent of them saying, yes, you know, there are things in the skies that we can't identify the military, uh, the films from the, the military, uh, the radar stuff, it's all a little bit surreal for me because now it's all kind of, there's a little bit of vindication, you know, it's like, Hey, see, I told you I knew it, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but we're yeah. really still not getting many answers. Um, but your experience, UFOs were not much of a, a topic of, of interest for you. Um, back in 94, when this event took place in March of March of 94, that is going to be the brunt of what we're talking about tonight. Right. It was not uh, uh, of interest. Uh, I mean, I, of course, as, as a meteorologist and as a uh, as uh, um, uh, an amateur astronomer with a nice telescope and photo uh, astrophotography and, you know, usually taking pictures of Jupiter, the moons uh, of Jupiter and uh, and the moon, Mars, whatever. Um, you know, I, 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 I've had my eye in the sky all the time, but, but, but I, I always thought that there was, there was life in the universe and I just didn't have an idea of whether they were visiting us or not. Uh, but, uh, but, but the thing is too, is that, uh, at, around the same time or slightly after high school or, or after college, um, I would, uh, you know, uh, I would have to, um, be, well, because we do uh, um, do some aircraft 
for weather forecasting, uh, we were we were assigned to uh, sit alongside some air traffic controllers uh, over there in uh, in near the National Weather Service Training Center in Kansas City, and 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 so I would I would sit alongside them and I I would ask you know well uh, hey did you have you ever seen anything you couldn't explain on radar you know that something you saw flying and you didn't know what it was and. And they said, oh, yeah, all the time, uh, and we, we don't know what it is because it doesn't have a transponder. Everything, the way the, the, the FAA radar works is that every time the radar dish goes around, it scans the entire sky. It doesn't know the altitude of the aircraft because it scans the entire sky. And so uh, it counts on the transponder on board the aircraft to let it know uh, uh, what altitude the aircraft is flying at. So when they see these things and they say they see them in one sweep and then they'll disappear in the next sweep and they might see them kind of kind of jump, you know, uh, a few miles at a time. Uh, but but they said, we, we've seen it. We think maybe they're military, but we just don't know what it is. And we're not really supposed to care. And we, we don't. And all we can do is just keep other aircraft away from it. That that's about the shortest answer, uh, or the longest answer that I could actually get from somebody uh, from an air traffic controller. Um, and that was 30 years ago. Now, um, so I thought that was very interesting. You know, of course, they're not really. You know, since then, they they're they're kind of very secretive, and and I've been told uh, when I did work at the FAA for a brief stint uh, before the boss opened the door, he said, whatever you hear, whatever you see, you're not allowed to uh, take outside this room. And, and this is, this is, it's like an onion. Okay. Think of it as you have to go through gates to get on the property. You have to then go through into a building, which is past, uh, which is a key card entry only and then when you get into the building then you have to have a special clearance to get inside the air traffic control room which has a soundproof big soundproof room around uh, uh, inside the middle of this building and then once you do the key card then you're inside that that soundproof room it's dark in there you got you've got uh, probably I would say, let's see, there were there were like rows going down in the one that I was at. I, I would say, let's see, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. Uh, so about uh, six, seven rows on both sides of air, air traffic controllers. You had the managers. And then I'd have to give a weather briefing to each one of those. So there were a lot of, uh, you know, we're talking probably about 100 to 150 air traffic controllers on duty at any one time, and of course they're working uh, 24 hour, uh, 24 hours a day and uh, and uh, seven days. So th so they have to rotate shifts. But uh, so there's a lot more that actually that actually work now. Uh, uh, but but I, I do remember you know hearing that, and then after that, uh, in a, and I'll say is I never really heard or saw anything you know. Uh, after I, I, you know, the boss told me anything like that, but 
Um, except that I did say uh, when he, before he opened the door, I, I did say, "What? What are you talking about? You mean like UFOs?" And he just kind of nodded his head, kind of sideways. And I was like, "Well, okay, then." <laughs> you know. So the official stance was, though, <laughs> we're not supposed to ask questions. We're not supposed to care. Um, we just basically. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's exactly what it is. And uh, of course, they, you know, back then, you know, in the in the 90s, uh, they felt like, well, they're not posing a threat to aircraft. So we're not worried about it. Well, now, you know, there seems to be, uh, especially with the Navy, uh, now they're saying and the, and the, and the, the Congress is saying, look, it, you know, this is posing uh, a serious uh, problem with aircraft in our crowded skies. You know, are we going to ever have, are we going to have accidents? Are we going to have collisions in, in the air? Uh, and so, so now, of course, uh, it, it is becoming a big deal because of, of the potential uh, danger involved. And, uh, and so, uh, so when we, when we now that we're hearing about these uh, things in Alaska, I would have to say is that there were always stuff in Alaska. Okay, there was always things being seen in Alaska. Uh, it's just that we're hearing about it now because it's the, a newsworthy item. And uh, if if you've ever watched uh, shows uh, about uh, uh, people that live in Alaska, you know just. If, it sounds like um, what they say is that nearly everybody that lives up there has, has seen something in the sky they can't explain. And so they, it, it's, it's almost like common knowledge. There are things in the sky here that we, don't, we can't explain. And so, uh, so I, think, I think that's the thing about Alaska is uh, we don't know what it is. Um, and, uh, um, and then the government is uh, is now just saying, well, this has gone on for decades, but uh, but we're going to go ahead and start trying to, uh, you know, to appease the 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 uh, um, the public. We're going to we're going to tell you about these things that are entering U.S. airspace and we're going to try to shoot them down uh, now. But what are they? I don't know. I mean, they're you know, uh, um, we we the one that stands out the most, of course, is the Japan Airlines, uh, where there was a 747, uh, and there were several pilots. I think three or four plus their their relief going across from Tokyo over to Anchorage, and they were complaining about these uh, uh, about these football field sized. Uh, um, um, uh, UFOs that were hovering above them and beside them and uh, and uh, in front of them and all over, and uh, I know those guys did get fired or something by Japan Airlines, uh, but uh, but but they were debriefed by by the FAA and by possibly the CIA. I'm not sure if it was that one or not, but 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 those pilots were never allowed to fly again, and it really stinks. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's a stigma that's followed around. And, uh, you know, I, I, there seems to be an attempt to to kind of uh, quell that now. Um, but for for the longest time, that was that was definitely right. the, uh, the status quo is to if you come out and talk about it, you're done. Bill, if you would mind um, jumping in here, 
let's uh, let's talk about what you know about uh, the Alaskan territories, um, as far as you know, like the Japan Air- Airline. That that's a huge one. Um, we had a movie uh, somewhere what 10, 12 years ago, the fourth kind that was uh, supposed to be based on uh, true events that was taking place in was it Nome, Alaska. Uh, with the missing people and UFO abductions and stuff like that. Um, it, you know, then we have the, the Alaskan Triangle. And oddly enough, if you look at the Alaskan Triangle, um, bottom points being Anchorage and Juneau and the northernmost point of it being right at the area where this, this latest uh, craft was splashed by the U.S. military. But if you could touch a, l- a little bit on some of the, uh, the the more extraordinary stuff that you know about that's taking place in Alaska, and then let's uh, let's wrap up the Alaska stuff and start getting into the events of March eighth, nineteen ninety four. Okay, uh, first I'll start by saying, um, as this is pre recorded, mm-hmm. uh, and the information seems to be coming in daily, if not hourly. By the time we get to uh, the actual broadcast, um, they could say, oh, well, it was another Chinese balloon or something like this. Sure. And so um, to have a lot of UFO discussion is always good because that's what I, I love to talk about most. But, yeah, you know, it, it may seem unusual um, if it's, you know, the most mundane thing ever they, they say they shot down. But then again, um, you know, I look at Roswell, you know, they shot down a, a UFO and or a UFO crash. Pardon me. They probably didn't shoot it down. Um, that that's a whole nother level if they did that. But uh, and then they said, oh, it was a weather balloon. So, yeah, um, if I could pick on that um, fourth kind movie, um, that movie to me was so egregious. It made my stomach hurt. Um, I, I put no absolutely no credence in anything remotely about that. And it made for a about- decent horror movie, but that was about it. Yeah, the, the 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 nastiest trick I think they did was they they had this sort of side by side effect where they had one person um, that they said was the actual experiencer or mm. witness, and then next to it they had the person acting it. And but the thing is, is that both of them were actors. Yeah. Yeah. It was one actor and then another actor. It wasn't like an original. It wasn't an actual witness and an actor. It was an actor next to an actor. Right. It's a clever trick, but. Um, yeah, um, yeah, like I said, it literally made my stomach hurt. Um, one of the things that I think is important to remember about the phenomena and, and, and let me put this up first that, um, with regards to, um, Alaska, you know, really the only other thing I I would have probably put forth is what you guys have already talked about, um, the, the Japan flight. Um, but I, so I think the, maybe the most meaningful thing I can say here is I think phenomena happens everywhere all the time. And to pinpoint a particular area as having more activity than another, you really have to bring it in terms of evidence to say that for some reason one area is a hot spot. Because, you know, just in Michigan alone, we get about 200 sightings a year. And it's almost always a population map. Uh, well, it is really the more people you have in a, any particular place, the more of them are going to see something. And, you know, and the sightings go on persistently all year long. There isn't a time of year where you tend to get more. Um, there are some standout events. I'm not saying that. 
Um, there are some very big major cases uh, in Michigan, like the one that we're going to talk about. But um, as an ongoing thing, um, you know, I, it's it's a pretty steady stream. And when you talk about triangles, I, I think those are almost arbitrary um, considerations. I think you can put a, probably a triangle around any piece of real estate and point to all the phenomena in there and indicate, oh, look at this. It's a triangle. Well, yeah. you know, it's. Just, you know, you choose where you put your triangle down and you call it a triangle and then um, there you go. Um, it, anywhere you lay your triangle down, you're going to find something weird happen there. Yeah. Well, you, you use the word uh, in the in the phrase uh, as, as far as you better bring it as far as evidence is concerned. And and I guess that that's a really good segue into what the, the brunt of this episode is about. Um, for the listeners, if you have ever heard of a television show uh, back from the 90s that was called Unsolved Mysteries, and if you are not aware that there has been a rebirth of that show on Netflix, uh, I encourage you to head over to Netflix and check it out because there are, uh, they don't call them seasons, they call them volumes, and there's three volumes. And in volume three, episode two, um, you're going to find the events of what we're talking about here tonight. And it was a significant, very significant, uh, and, and Bill can, can uh, confirm that. As far as UFO sightings, this, this one is almost, I think it would warrant saying, of historic proportions due to the sheer number of people who reported seeing it. And the physical, I guess we can call it physical evidence that we have of tonight's guest, Mr. Jack Bashong, who was the weatherman who was stationed in uh, the Muskegon Weather Service at the time that the calls started coming in. And he was actually able to witness and confirm the sightings of these things over Lake Michigan with his radar. And at some point, uh, you started a conversation with somebody at dispatch and we're on the phone with him for what, around two, two and a half hours as these calls kept coming in and he was able to trace the, uh, the movement of these things all the way down the, the Southern, uh, the Southern shore of the Western side, or I'm sorry, the Eastern side of Lake Michigan. Uh, the, the really fascinating part about this for me is I live in South Bend, Indiana. So I am about 30-minute drive from St. Joe and Benton Harbor, Michigan, which is about the southernmost point of the sighting back in 1994. I remember hearing about this on the news. So, um, uh, you know, I, yeah. like I said, I was always into this stuff, so it was very exciting to hear something this big happening so close to home. And uh, as you work your way all the way on up to Muskegon, uh, nearly every town all the way through there, I've had some experience, whether it's been, I've been there on vacation, I, I vacationed there in the summers. Um, it, it's just, it, it hits so close to home. And I might actually, after this episode, uh, Bill and I were talking, I, I have a, a personal friend of mine who witnessed something extremely similar, only it was later on in the month of January to the best that he can remember. And it was the same, it, it was the same thing, the same exact thing. 
So, Jack, if you would, please, um, let's get into the events of of March 8th. Uh, Let us know how it all started. Okay. Uh, It was, uh, um, uh, I would say it was about 8 o'clock, and uh, my uh, uh, 5, 6 o'clock forecast duties were done. So, so, uh, so, uh, uh, so five, six o'clock, uh, weather port packages was done. So I had, I had some time. I was actually, uh, uh, um, uh, it, it was, it was cold. It was clear. There was nothing really to look, uh, look out at, uh, the, the weather radar does operate at all times, 24 hours, seven days a week, unless there's maintenance going on, but it has to go around anyway, no matter what. And uh, so, uh, um, so there really wasn't anything to look at the radar because we were under a, a dome of high pressure. There was nothing that was going to show up, not even uh, what we call anomalous propagation, where there's an inversion, where the, uh, the, the beam of the radar uh, bounces off an inversion and then bounces back down towards the ground. We didn't even have any of that. It was a nice, clear uh, radar all the way through and through. And uh, it, I remember it being about 22 degrees or so. Uh, the winds were light out of the uh, northwest. Um, and uh, uh, let's see. Um, I'm not sure if there was a moon out. I don't think there was. Uh, I don't think there was a moon out that night. It was very dark out. Uh, but, uh, um, but, uh, but there was not a cloud in the sky. And, uh, and so, uh, I, uh, um, let's see the, the first thing that happened was unbeknownst to me is, uh, um, uh, 911 dispatch was getting phone calls all over the place in the County South of us, which was Ottawa County, South of, uh, out of, South of Muskegon, Ottawa County would include, uh, Grand Haven, Michigan, Holland, Michigan, uh, from from between uh, Holland and uh, and Grand Haven, uh, Michigan, along the shoreline, and it would go inland a little bit, uh, butting up against Kent County, which would be uh, Grand Rapids. Uh, now, uh, now the thing is, is that they uh, the dispatcher told me that there was a police officer on route to uh, the the first people that had seen. Uh, lights in the sky. He said they were uh, that they were down at treetop level, um, and uh, and that they and that that many more uh, um, people were were beginning to see it, and we were getting they were getting phone calls all over the place. They had tried to call the uh, uh, FAA uh, um, number, and they they were unsuccessful. Nobody would would answer the phone at the FAA, of course. You know, it was beyond business hours. So, and and the weather service is a 24-hour, seven-day operation, no matter what. So, uh, um, and and the great thing is that when they when he said, "Can you look at uh, what's what might be on radar?" Um, I'm I'm glad that they got a hold of me because I I, I was a big airplane buff. Uh, I flew a lot, an awful lot, when I was a kid. I flew uh, uh, flew from uh, Fort Lauderdale, where where I went to school, uh, to Mus- Muskegon, Michigan, where where I was born, and and my dad lived up 
in Michigan. My mom lived in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So I was bouncing back and forth all the time. Absolutely loved and adored airplanes. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, at, at 12, 13, 14, 15. And so, um, and, and, and did continue uh, to think that, you know, you know, even through uh, high school and college, do I want to be a pilot or do I want to be a meteorologist? I happened to pick meteorology just because uh, I knew there was uh, less competition and it was uh, it was a, a more of a um, uh, it was more of a secured job um, that uh, um, that I could uh, you know uh, not many people think about going into meteorology at that point and uh, so I knew that my my chances of getting a job. We're going to be greatly enhanced uh, compared to getting a job with, as a pilot. So, but I but I did know an awful lot about aircraft, uh, and and I had and at the very beginning I did have to give uh, pilot weather briefings. So I had to go through the whole thing about how aircraft worked, and uh, we had several books we had to go through. Uh, we had to know uh, it, it wasn't just about ra- uh, weather. Uh, and uh, weather and, and its effect on aircraft. It was about how aircraft works and 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 how how the radio works aboard aboard uh, aircraft and and how you navigate through uh, with uh, with the aircraft and how the FAA control radar works and, and all that. So we had to know a lot more than you'd think uh, that we did. So. Uh, so, so anyway, um, but, uh, but when I, when I was training on that radar, uh, early on, uh, and there was nothing to do, I, I wanted to see, Hey, you know, this, the, the radar manual shows that I can actually see, uh, an airplane in flight, you know, let me see if I can actually spot one. So I went and, and looked around, couldn't really find one, and, and so I thought, well, you know, Chicago Hare has a lot, awful lot of aircraft, so I'm going to go shooting down there and see. And, and basically what I can do with my radar compared to, uh, for instance, an FAA radar is I can, I can take my radar, turn it off automatic rotation with a switch, uh, switch of a button, and uh, and then I could use two cranks. One crank is to is to move the radar beam back and forth horizontally, and another crank to move it up and down vertically. And so uh, so I would I would um, uh, to find an aircraft I would do a grid grid time pattern where I would go back and forth, crank it up a little bit, go back and forth, crank it up a little bit, until I would see what would look like a uh, solid object uh, that was up at the proper uh, thousand of feet, you know, 20, 30,000 feet in the air and moving at, at, at the correct speed and so on. And it also had, uh, because uh, weather radars uh, needed to know uh, the intensity of, of uh, rainfall or uh, whether or not uh, the uh, thunderstorms that we were looking at in this cross-section, we could see cross-sections of thunderstorms, we would have to know whether they contain solid objects like hail, for instance. And it would have a distinct pattern uh, when we were looking at solid objects. It would, uh, solid objects, especially, uh, especially ice that had a coating of water on it, 
uh, would would bounce back a good portion of the energy that you know we call them echoes for a reason because you're bouncing back electromagnetic mag magnetic information. Uh, you're uh, a beam of electroma of, of electromagnetic uh, radiation out, and then the and then the radar is listening. Uh, actually more it's it's actually transmitting less time than it's listening so it's it's a, it's a good beep out and then it's listening for the return energy so as soon at the speed of light it goes out listens for it and then and then when it hears uh, a return if it does at all uh, you can measure using the speed of light and knowing what that speed is you can measure how far out it was and of course, wherever you see it, um, at whatever direction you're at, it's going to paint the picture wherever you have the beam pointed at. Now, now that's how I, I would be able to see aircraft. So, an aircraft is highly reflective. They're they're large uh, uh, metallic objects. Uh, when when you're down at at Chicago, though, for instance, it's far enough away where uh, the, the the radar beam. As it goes out into a cone shaped, it, 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 it starts out as basically the the, the radar beam is going to be the same size as the uh, as the five foot uh, radar dish, and then as it goes out, it's going to expand more and more until you get to Chicago, where it's going to be about two miles across, and that's going to be your that's going to be that's 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 going to be the cone. Of 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 how much uh, you know of what you're looking at. So yeah, two miles across, um, and so I only had a resolution, for instance, of about two miles at that grade of a distance. And so if there was several aircraft within that uh, within that uh, two miles, I'm not going to be able to d distinguish whether it was one or several uh, objects in there. Now the thing about the one that I was seeing uh, when I when I finally did that grid pattern like I always had done and and it's and, and again and I've said this before if it was anybody else that uh, was called that night um, most likely they they would not have they would have said well I I can't I can't see the aircraft I can't see what's in the sky. Well, I knew I could because I was more than just curious about looking for aircraft. I actually had tried to do it. So and, I knew and apparently very adept at using the equipment and understanding and the range of things that you could do with the equipment that you had in front of you. Exactly. We, we had to know not just how to uh, we, we had to know not just how to read uh, what you're looking at, but we had to know how the thing works. We had to know all the science behind it. We had to know radar equations, which is, you know, this long equation of, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and frequencies and, and, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And so, uh, so uh, one thing about it was that because what I was looking at was much closer than Chicago, uh, um, instead of an aircraft, say, say you're, you got an airliner 
that's uh, that is in a beam that's two miles across over at Chicago. Now you take that airliner and you have it close enough to the radar where it's taking up, a, 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 it, you know, the radar beam is only a half mile in diameter. Well, then, you know, then, of course, it's going to show up much stronger and uh, and you're going to see a lot more of it. Um, and, 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 and that was, that was the case. That was true. Um, you know, I had never seen, uh, an airliner size, I'm guessing airliner size, uh, uh, UFO, unidentified flying object, meaning, uh, that close to the radar because I could never find an aircraft that close to Muskegon. I always knew I could see it down in Chicago where they have aircraft flying all the time. But when you're talking about Grand Rapids and Muskegon, you know, there's hardly ever any aircraft taking off and landing in those areas, you know, but every, every, uh, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes or so. Uh, whereas down in Chicago, it's happening just about every one or two minutes. So now, let me jump in yeah. here. So with, with the sure. understanding that, um, from what I remember from the show, you had been at the weather service for about three years. Was that the beginning of your career? No, I was actually in uh, Grand Rapids from 1989. Okay. And then went over to uh, uh, Muskegon in 1991. And I, and I started immediately. I had to, I was already uh, certified on, on, uh, uh, on the uh, weather observations. So, so the first thing I had to do was get certified on radar observations. So, so that was my main. That was my boss's main concern was was to get uh, um, uh, get up to speed on radar observations. And I wouldn't be able to be alone unless I was fully certified by uh, the Weather Service and by the uh, the government uh, to to be allowed to be alone by myself. Um, so with with the understanding now that you have you have uh, ex- extraordinary credentials to, to be doing this job. Um, oh yeah, you know, yeah, you have- and and you're you're on your own. You're there in the evening. You're there by yourself. Um, let's get into the, the the events. How did things transpire? Were you aware of of the presence of these things over the lake prior to getting a call from the dispatch? None. Yeah, none, none, none whatsoever. Uh, I had no idea. There was no reason for me to look at the radar. And a lot, a lot of people in the weather service thought that, hey, I saw something on radar, and that's why I called it. And no, that's not true at all. Uh, and and a, a lot of people are just gonna, just gonna, you know, tell up stories just to make it uh, make me sound like an idiot. I guess well, I don't know. No, but, nobody here is. Yeah. We're, we we've got oh, you here because this this but, is the stuff we're into. So right, um, right. But people in the weather service are going to say things like that, and that's what they did. And unfortunately, that's the case. A lot of people made uh, w- would. You know, through through word of mouth, they they would they their their information uh, details were were way off kilter, and uh, so I had to. Uh, um, so w- what happened is they called uh, the the central dispatcher called from Ottawa County and said we're seeing. We, he said we tried to call the FAA, they won't answer. You have a radar, right? Yes, and we have it on. Yes, and said, can you look and see if you can see anything in the sky? We're getting reports of lights in the sky, 
and uh and, and i and i i kind of was like oh boy you know and uh you know well let's see you know um i i you know uh, of course you know occasionally you know uh we would get the phone call since we were a public number we would have people kind of calling saying you know hey i'm seeing this star and you know it's behind these clouds and the star seems to be moving a little bit you know well i'm seeing it too and no it's just the planet cirrus or something like that and uh, or it's jupiter you know don't worry about it uh so i would get those phone calls but in this case it, it was they were getting lots of calls and and so they were uh um so i finally uh i i actually and this is interesting is that i had the radar set on a different range where uh where i had um i had it set for 250 kilometers when i had the the 150 kilometer overlay range which is this plastic acetate that you put over and so I said, oh, at first I said, and this is why I say, oh, uh, well, I see one moving, but it's, oh, it's down here, down by South Bend. Uh, um, so that can't be it. And he said, no, well, this is the one we're talking about, Holland. I said, oh, wait a minute. I got the wrong overlay on. Hold on for a second. I put the right one on and voila, there you go. Uh, it's right over us. Uh, um, you know, it's about halfway between... Um, I would say it's right, right smack dab in the middle of Ottawa County. That's moving towards the southwest, towards South Haven, and it's moving at about maybe a hundred miles per hour. I'm guessing, and uh, and so it and and that's when the dispatcher said this is what the police officer was saying he saw. Now, now at, at that point, by the time the police officer Velhouse got out there. Holly Graves uh, at Holly Graves' house. The, the UFO had already moved off, and it was not at treetop level anymore. If it was at treetop level, I wouldn't be able to see it because of the curvature of the Earth. I wouldn't be able to see down that far. So you're saying now, the Earth is round? Yes, the Earth is definitely <laughs> round. <laughs> and so further, the further out you go with that weather beam, you know, just just. For, yes, it does have a little bit of curvature due, due to refraction, but let's just say the weather beam does go out straight. Well, the, 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 the Earth does kind of move away from that, that, that straight weather beam, and so the further you go out, the higher up in the atmosphere you're actually looking. Uh, but and so you know, and I had the uh, the um, when I was going back and forth and looking for it, um, I, I actually had to look up a little bit. I had to raise the antenna up a good, uh, uh, from what I remember, from the usual 0.5 degrees um, up a little bit from horizon, which is where the standard level is. And this is up 100 feet off the ground and well above the trees. Um, I, I had to, to move it up to about 2 degrees at that point. So it was it was definitely... Uh, looking uh, further up uh, quite a bit, and so so I was looking at it at around twelve thousand feet, which would make perfect sense for uh, since the 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 uh, uh, UFO had moved off a good looked like twenty miles away, 
and uh, um, down through the county and was up about 12,000 feet, which means that he was still able to see it, even though it was a good uh, 10, 15 miles away from him. And, uh, and he could see it. He could actually see the movement of it, which is unusual because if you've ever seen planes, you know, from uh, uh, 10, 15 miles away from you, you, can, you, you always knew that they're very slow moving. They're, 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 you're, they're barely looking like they're moving at all, right. you know, that distance. But he said this, this thing was doing all sorts of kind of crazy turns and doing things that, uh, you know, making quick, move, quick movements uh, from a distance that 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 at 15 miles away looked like it was uh, not uh, doing anything aerodynamically possible. And, and, and let's uh, keep in mind that this gentleman that he's talking about is a law enforcement uh, officer. Of you know, so basically, yeah. um, these these people are trained observers. Um, yes. You know, their, yeah. their daily job is to make sure that they're getting uh, reports correct. And, you know, so as a trained observer, I think you have to take into consideration that these people have maybe got a bit of a leg up on, on the average Joe as far as what they're taking a look at. Right, right. Yeah, so, yeah. They take courses on how to make sure that what they see is what they remember that they remember everything and every detail that they see they have to know uh how things look they have to know what a person looks like to a t and uh and so you you know so so they're they're a high qualified observer quote unquote you know and, and just like with a weather observer we have to be a high quality uh, observer, you know, quote unquote, and, and knowing the difference between a cloud that looks like a funnel cloud or a cloud that's actually uh, uh, a real tornado or something like that, or, or being able to see uh, the difference in color and texture of clouds, whether you're seeing snow, sleet, hail, rain, whatever is falling out of the sky. And so, uh, so anyway, um, so he actually got on the on the plane on the on his uh, on his uh, in his cruiser, and he started following it down uh, one of the highways that was going uh, uh, in the direct direction that 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 the uh, object was moving. And he he was guessing it was right around when he saw it. It was it was pretty close to the shoreline, and uh, and and that's when it started acting kind of crazy. And that's when um, the the uh, the object split into three, and uh, he could he could see it split into three quickly, and uh, and and so when and and I and I told the dispatcher I'm seeing multiple returns, and I said I'm seeing three of them, and he's telling me well people are uh, they're saying that they are seeing it split into three and going apart and coming back together, going apart and coming back together. And I said, yes, I see that. I see exactly that. And I, and, and not only that, but, but it, it did make a triangle formation, but not in the vertical sense where I'm looking down and seeing a, and seeing three point equidistant points. I'm looking at it crossways at a vertical where it's making a triangular 
uh, um, in, in, the, in the vertical where one is higher than the other and the other one is actually pointed in directly in line with my radar. So to me, I, I couldn't figure out why I would see it uh, in direct lineup with my radar beam, uh, which is a straight line out, and that that we would have, you know, uh, two, we would have two on top of each other, and then the third one uh, 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 right in between those two, and in direct line with my radar. Except that the only way I can think of, and I've I've looked at so many different ways and so many different. Uh, uh, chances that it could could do that that the only thing that I could tell was that the the objects knew that I was looking at it with a radar that that it knew that it was it was going down the radar beam why it was doing that I don't know at first I was thinking oh my god this thing is going to blow up my radar because I'm not liking that I'm looking at it so I I, I expected, you know, sparks and, you know, it's an analog uh, analog radar. So I was expecting bulbs to, uh, you know, vacuum uh, bulbs to uh, to uh, vacuum tubes to to explode. And well, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> so when you when you start thinking about military, um, yeah, military pilots in in modern day fighters, when right. somebody uh, uh, in a opposing force. If they get a radar lock on them, the the pilot in the plane that's been hit by the radar, they become aware of it. You know, yeah. they'll say, you know, we've got tone or they've got lock on us. Right. Um, so maybe they were recognizing your radar as as potentially being a, uh, hostile. a hostile uh act. Automatic, yes, and 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 uh, you know if if you remember in '94, uh, it was shortly after the the Kuwait, uh, uh, you know, war, uh, and I was you know I remember the no fly zone, and any time that a radar locked on an aircraft, uh, it would uh, blow up that air air uh, that radar. Now, now I did look at several different ways of how it uh, jammed radars, and it wasn't, you know, I was thinking, okay, well maybe they're they're putting out false returns to make it look like that, but uh, but 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 in actuality they were just flooding the the radar with uh, a big floodlight of 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 junk, so it would show it with just a big blob of where you couldn't pick out anything and and it was it, it would just it, it would be like uh a, a, it would look it would be like a uh a somebody sh you know uh shining a spotlight of very intense light towards the radar where you couldn't see anything but in this case i was seeing the same kind of things only they were in triangular formation, and, and the physics, the radar physics was there because the closest one actually did look bigger on the radar because it is closer, it is taking more of the radar beam than the ones that were further away. And also, it, it, uh, it, it also then, when I was looking at different um, 
uh, uh, weather or different uh, uh, observations from MUFON, I, I was seeing where where they were showing uh, that they were having reports on Lake Michigan where where the 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 uh, uh, the UFOs were splitting and uh, you know going apart and coming back together and going apart coming back together, which would make sense. So they they were splitting. Now, if they were together and there were three of them, uh, and my radar resolution is only a half mile it would not be able to detect three of them together. It would not be able to see the three. Uh, the, 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 the resolution wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be good enough. So if there was like a, a formation of three UFOs uh, close together, I would only see it as one. But, uh, but it would make sense that if they all split up and got further apart, I would be able to see it. But I saw, and, and, and this is where I'm going to be doing a, uh, my, my, my science paper I'm working on, is this, is this is what, back in those days, what the technology would do to, um, to radars that when they were trying to jam the radar. And, and it, wouldn't, it wouldn't just put out false returns that made it look like they were just regular old uh, aircraft returns. They, they would just flood it with uh, a big blob of material and, or a big blob, and, and, and that would be it. You wouldn't be able to pick out anything from, from that at all. Um, now... Now, after it was, it didn't take. That's when I said, "Oh my God, what is this?" But, but, just after a few seconds of that happening, it it finally went from a vertical uh, where it was pointing directly at the radar to a to a horizontal uh, three uh, uh, pointed triangle that was twenty miles apart. And and if you can hear in the in in my uh, tape. I was actually saying, um, okay, it's in a triangle formation. They're they're they're, they're separated by twelve thousand feet. Well, I'm meaning by the by you know when it's in the vertical formation that that the two in the rear were separated by twelve thousand feet. But then I cut out right away and say, well, now it's changed positions. Now it's now it's uh, horizontal. And they're they're separated by a they're they're at about the same altitude, but they're they're uh, they're separated by about 20 miles. And at that point, that's when they were all staying at the same altitude, which made it easier for me because I didn't have to go up and down with the uh, with the radar beam that much. I had to just uh, sweep it, uh, basically a second at a time, you know, uh, you know, 1,001, 1,002, 1,001, 1,002. And so, um, from, from one sweep to the next, which is basically like a tick tock of a clock, it, it, you know, I would see it jump 20 miles within that one second. And, uh, is that where you came up with the, uh, the, 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 the figure of 72,000 miles an hour. Yes, that's exactly it. That it went 20 miles within, within the second. It could have been faster, 
but it was within that one second. And, and, it, and it was quite obvious. It would disappear in one spot, and then in the next sweep, it would be 20 miles away. It wasn't like it disappeared, and, you know, I mean, it wasn't like I had to guess, well, this is the same one. It was quite obvious because it would move in one sweep, and then it would move again in the same in another sweep and, and just continue in its same direction on on its way out to the middle of Lake Michigan. So um, so it wasn't like I uh, had to guess that this is a different object because it was it was just as I, I, I didn't see it streak. I just saw it disappear here, show up here one second later, and then show up here one second later, and here one second later, and it was going in a line. And not only that, but the other two that were further away did the same thing. One would, would shoot and try to get back into that triangular formation. The other one would shoot, try to get back in that triangular formation. And that did that over and over again several, several times um, until uh, finally it was in the middle of Lake Michigan. And once it got to the middle of Lake Michigan, and I mean smack dab in the middle of Lake Michigan, it began to move southward. So it went more of like a south uh, or a west-southwest uh, towards Lake, uh, towards the middle of Lake Michigan, and then it stopped, hovered, and then it went uh, due south um, and, and moved at about 20... Uh, 20 miles at a pop until it got to about the same latitude as Benton Harbor, uh, which is uh, just so happened to be later on, I found out when I was able to see a, uh, an ice map uh, from NOAA um, that somebody alerted me to was, lo and behold, there it was. It was, it was actually, uh, um, it actually had stopped moving further south once it saw open water, once, once the ice cover was uh, no longer ice cover and it was, it was open water. And then that's where, um, that's where I saw those stop. They, they were all quite close clustered together. And then they became, uh, um, then they became more uh, surrounded every time. I, well, then I would have to go do some. Uh, the, the Ottawa County Sheriff. Once it got out to the middle of Lake Michigan, he seemed like he lost interest and in, it was out of his area. He didn't care anymore, and so he got he hung up the phone. And then I was continuing to watch it for for quite a while. Uh, but uh, uh, but but one thing I noticed that there was just every time I went to look at the radar there would be more and more uh, returns uh, uh, showing up in that, that general area where most of them were hovering and staying in put, but occasionally I would see a few of them kind of meander amongst the others, you know, kind of just kind of just move around and kind of go in between the other ones in this very tight formation. Uh, were, you, did, were you experiencing any changes of altitude? Uh, w once you started getting that congregation of so many of them, were there some? Were they staging at different altitudes, or were they, did they all seem to be centralized to the same altitude? It, 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 they were actually at different altitudes. Now, now, mind you, that I could only see because it was it was down by Benton Harbor and it was good, uh, uh, say 120 kilometers away. Um, 
they they you know I couldn't get down far enough without without you know the the uh, curvature of the earth interrupting uh, but but they were kind of in a like a ball shaped um, uh, a ball shaped area of a lot of them you know kind of dozen there were maybe two three dozen of them kind of ball shaped uh, you know so where if you, if you were to imagine like a giant sphere they would have all been kind of within different levels of being in that sphere different altitudes and it seemed like the closer you got to the center the more cluster cluttered they were so and the further you got outside that uh, sphere of uh, several of them it, it seemed like it just kind of slowly uh, uh, became less and less uh, congested so they were all kind of really close together just I mean it, it just it, it sort of reminded me of uh, for instance insects when they when they when when ants would uh, find a dead bug and or a, a piece of food or something like that and they would all cluster around it really tightly and they and some would would just sit there but a lot of them would meander around a little bit or or in another case uh where um where it just seemed like they uh they they were just uh um sort of like a cluster of uh flying birds for instance uh where they were um you know kind of stationary and and they would sometimes move in 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 coordinated ways as well so uh it was it um it it just seemed like they knew uh they all knew what 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 each other were doing almost like i don't know the the uh they they just all seemed to know what they what each other were doing it was almost as if they were in perfect harmony and, and perfect uh, uh, communication with each other, just the way you see birds when they when they fly in this direction, and they all decide they're going to fly in another direction, and they do it all at the same time, uh, and that that's the way it was, uh, you know, uh, with that. So it, it was a really strange uh, thing, and and the thing is though is that they were. Uh, I can only say is that they were metallic objects because they were bouncing off uh, uh, near 100%. Well, the closer they were, they, they were pegging. Uh, and, and, and you could hear me on the tape where I said it's spiking, and it's because the amplitude graph that tells me how, how much, uh, which, which also tells me how much rain is falling, or how much hail is falling, or whether it is hail or not, but it was spiking. It was it was this you know where I would go over the you know directly over it with the beam. It would it would it would shoot up to the top of the graph, showing me that it was it was returning near a hundred percent of its signal back toward me, and so you know to to the highest amount. I mean there there was there's just no way that it it. Uh, uh, that it couldn't be anything but a solid object that was that had clear air all around it, uh, beneath it to the sides of it, um, and below it and above it, and uh, but then you get centered right over where that that UFO was, and all of a sudden you see the line just boom, you know, all the way to the to the top tip top of the graph, which I've never seen that, not even with hail. 
Now, with the airliners that I saw over uh, uh, Chicago, now, now, if I if I saw an airliner that was you know near Grand Rapids and Muskegon, maybe I would see it. See it would be you know boomed all to the way to the top, but it, it you know to me it just told me that it was a metallic, a shiny metallic uh, um, object that was returning. Uh, um, uh, nearly all of the reflective, uh, nearly all of the electromagnetic uh, reflectivity back towards the radar while it was listening. It transmitted and then it listened and it listened and heard the, that the entire echo of it, you know, at the speed of light. And so, uh, so you you witnessed yeah. this for uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of two and a half to three hours, correct? Yeah, yeah, I, I would have to go here and there uh, to do some uh, some other duties, but I would come back with and 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 not be surprised by that. Hey, we're still there, you know, they, you know. And I I would put the radar back into like I was supposed to put it back into this normal uh, half degree elevation, uh, uh, you know, automatic rotation around and around, uh, yeah, and then and then I would go back to it, turn it off, go back to the same um, uh, area where I saw them before, and there they were, still there, not moved. So, Crazy. So I'm going to ask you, uh, I'm going to ask you one more thing, and then I'd like uh, I'd like Bill to, to jump in here and start sure. uh, getting into uh, the, the vast number of reports from that night. Um, at the point that uh, this this event seemed to begin to terminate. Um, yeah. w- w- explain to me what, what started to transpire. Did they just like blip out and were gone or were you able to follow them, uh, you know, on a trajectory up to higher yeah. altitudes or what happened there? No, very, very slowly. They just kind of disappeared. I noticed that there were there each time I went back, I noticed there were just less and less of them. And uh, and then finally, there were very few. By the time the the the, the guy came in on the midnight shift, uh, to, you know, and saw them, he it, it was not. It, it, he missed the in, entire great event of it. Although he did see some of them, he was a little he was a bit skeptical in what it was, and um, you know, and there was just no telling, you know. Um, you know, and, and and thank goodness for even though I was embarrassed that there was the tape and I was worried about it, uh, thank goodness there was that tape because it has a complete record of everything I was saying to the guy and and the way that the dispatcher was was uh, reinforcing um, uh, what the police officer was seeing and what the people on the ground were seeing, uh, and so and we were all. We were all together on the same page, and that's that was most important to me. And, uh, you know, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to seem like I'm, I'm, I don't want to cover uh, your the unfair treatment that you received after that. Um, but I think I think they do a very good job of covering that in in the episode of Unsolved Mysteries, and I would encourage everybody to go watch that. Um, oh yeah, I, I don't want to bring up the 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 crappy part of of what happened to you i don't want you to have to go through all that again right um, right because yeah. that was a 
I mean, it, it is very typical for the for the time and the the the, the type of stereotypes that uh, yeah. were put on people that were having these experiences. But it was unfair treatment, and and I'm sorry you had to go through that. Um, yeah. But but Bill, if you could if you could pop in here now, and uh, there were an extraordinary number of reports that happened across this night. Now we, we're starting, you know, a little north of Muskegon in Ottawa Township. And this thing worked its way all the way down the eastern side of Lake Michigan, down to um, the Benton Harbor, St. Joe Benton Harbor area, and then moved out into open water. Um, so that's that's a pretty good, you know, that's about half of the, the eastern uh, shore of Lake Michigan. And Bill, is it in the in the neighborhood of three hundred reports that were that were given? Yeah, that's yeah, that's correct. Three hundred reports, um, just over three hundred reports. So I do not mean to do a disservice to this excellent documentation about March eighth, nineteen ninety four, um, but my phone has been blowing up. Uh, uh, this whole time that we've been on. Um, apparently, Canada shot down another object, or they had the U.S. shoot down another one today. And that um, with about a half an hour ago, um, several F-15s were scrambled out of McCord near Seattle. And Montana has closed a 50-mile um, airspace range, but they don't know if that's related to, to anything. Um so all of that uh, within the last uh, half hour has come out. Holy cow! <laughs> but when when this airs, <laughs> wow! When this airs, this will all be old news. So how many ob- how many objects has been shot out by uh, Canadian? Uh, Canada shot down. Well, they um, Trudeau asked the U.S. to shoot it down, and so we shot. We scrambled an F-22 and shot down the second one um, in Canada today, in the, sort of the Yukon area near Alaska. And there, so that's over land, but probably where it's not going to be a big deal, or as big of a deal. Um, so yeah, they took it down with Sidewinder missiles and whatever it is. Don't know if it's the same type of thing or what, but it's the same general vicinity. You know, regardless if this is extraterrestrial, ultra terrestrial, whether it is um, something that is from a foreign nation, the, the fact of the matter is we have things in the skies that people don't know where it is, and we're shooting them down, and mm-hmm. and that's a scary situation to be in. Yeah. You, you've mm-hmm. got you've got two countries now. You've got the U.S. You've got Canada involved, and um, you know just with the the saber rattling that's been going on with China and and you know what the Russians are doing uh, with Putin and, and the Ukraine and man, I'm telling you what, this is just uh, it, it does not feel good. It it, it feels like a very uh, feels like a very heavy thing is is kind of on the on the horizon and uh that's an unfortunate thing yeah i don't know if this will wind down wind up between now and when this airs but yeah this is this is what's going on at uh right at this moment so and this is uh that report you're giving that to me at eight thirty six p.m on uh on saturday the 11th uh mm-hmm. eastern time so uh okay bill wow 
thank so you. Back. Thank you for throwing that in there. Uh, but man, that mm-hmm. kind of takes the wind out of your sails uh, a little bit, you know, <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or it puts a lot more sail wind in the sails. I, I don't know which, um, but let, let's, uh, let's get on to I, I, uh, some of the, yeah, I, right. I have no more to say about that. And, um, who knows, uh, <laughs> who knows what it would be said uh, within the next half hour or so, but, uh, pardon me. So yeah, there were about 300 reports, uh, over 300 reports estimated by MUFON. The thing about our, our reporting system back during the 90s is that it was all a paper system. And while you know, I, I've definitely heard that number, um, many of those reports have uh, found their way down to me, um, and I have them in my file cabinet in the basement. I have the Graves actual report that they gave to MUFON. There are sketches from each of the four family members, um, nice full-color sketches that they did. I have Officer Jeff Feldhouse's report to MUFON, um, and so at the time when they were calculating it, that they came up with that number. What's for darn sure though, is you can still find the transcripts for all the 911 calls from that night. Um, There are printed transcripts out there, there are audio recordings. Um, Several of the audio recordings made it onto that Unsolved Mysteries episode. So this was a a very large sighting event and um, one of the things when um, Jack was talking about uh, a, a police officer being, uh, you know, a trained observer, uh, well, according to what Veldhaus and the Gray's family were saying, this thing was flying over the house across the street. And by the time Veldhaus got there, it was still hovering there for about another 15 minutes before it took off. So this isn't any quick three-second sighting, um, and this isn't anything at, at a great distance. I mean, if you look at the, the family sketches, you know, it was clear they got a very good look at this thing and that it was very close. And, you know, more than just what a trained observer would have to, you know, be able to discern at a distance, this thing was very up close and personal. And the the one particular uh, thing about this uh, sighting is that, you know, it's one of those gifts that keeps um, giving in terms of the number of reports that we get in. We got several reports in about that night after the Unsolved Mysteries aired. Oh, did you? And, and, and there are some several very good ones. Um, and there are the type of UFO reports that you can either sort of give a synopsis for and then there are other types of UFO reports that people turn into us that are best in the voice, reading exactly what it is that the um, the witness has seen. Um, I can, if you know, if you want to hear about some of these brand new ones we got in from March eighth that are pretty good, uh, you know, I, I can certainly read them. They're pretty short, but yeah, sure, um, if, absolutely, throw some in there. Yeah, you know, just jump in real quick with uh, and. Although we got several of them, I'll just uh, touch on a couple few. Um, A friend and I were heading south on 31, just leaving Shelby. On the east side of the road above a house of a classmate, we saw what initially we thought was a police helicopter. There was one red and one blue and one bright white light, like a spotlight illuminating the roof. We stopped the car to watch what was going on. Then it occurred to us there was no sound, none. We were perhaps a thousand feet away with no sound. The lights also were not right on an orange-red color and a blue-green color. 
We watch for maybe five minutes, then realize perhaps we shouldn't be there. When we opened the doors of, of the car, all of the alarms and indicator lights came on. We were frightened and left. I dropped uh, her off friend, and uh, went home. In the morning, the car wouldn't start. I was unaware of the sightings uh, witnesses by others. I'm sharing this because of the descriptions um, from Unsolved Mysteries. So they didn't even know. <laughs> um, they were right there in, in the midst of that area, and they weren't even aware that other people had actually reported anything yeah. until nearly 30 years later. Um, jumping to another one, um, I was walking down the bike trail in town in my town, on March 8, 1994, when I observed three lights hovering over Lake Michigan in a triangle shape. Shortly after that, they soon all drew back together into one shape, hovered there for a few minutes, and then separated back into three uh, in a pyramid shape. And then within one second, it flew away and was gone out of sight. Um, I would like this passed along to Jack Bushong. So, wow. <laughs> um, And then this last one... Um, says, this has bothered me since it had happened. Um, I was a junior at a university in Grand Rapids driving home uh, to the Benton Harbor area. On the radio, there were dozens of people calling in saying that they were seeing lights in the sky all around Grand Rapids and Holland. It was exciting to hear the sound of their voices as it was part confusion, part fear, part astonishment. For the most part, I saw nothing until I was in within five minutes of Coloma, I think it's pronounced. Yeah. yeah. To the to the right of me, west, I saw a very bright glowing through the trees towards the highway. It was probably three miles away at that point. I lost sight of it in the trees as it got closer to me. No more than a minute later, as I was coming over a hill or a curve, I saw it hovering just off the highway. No more than a couple hundred feet off the ground and a couple hundred feet east. The object was rotating very slowly. There were three to four large lights on the side, changing color slowly. It looked as best as I can explain, a large window open and closing, like a blind being opened and closed. As it would open, the light would already be a different color, possibly in a pattern. At the time, at the end of the one side of the craft, it was a brighter red light. I was terrified and was still shaking by the time I got to my brother's house in Benton Harbor. As I drove by, I felt uneasy, like something was trying to talk to me, and I was avoiding it. I'm sure it has nothing to do more than me panicking over the experience. I did roll down my window and turned my radio down. There was no sound at all. This was not a balloon, helicopter, or plane. I know this is something special. I'm trying to find uh, other people who have seen this as well. So some very... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Incredible sightings. Yeah. Really interesting. You say Coloma because uh, when it went for the vertical triangle to the horizontal, uh, Coloma was the first town that I noticed that the that that it snapped that that one uh, to the far south uh, east uh, point of the triangle was over the town of Coloma. I, I remember. I couldn't. I, couldn't figure out how to pronounce the name. I remember seeing seeing it, but uh, but uh, um, but but I do remember there was one right over that town. Um, I and and I did. I believe it is on the recording, but I specifically remember that one that was over that that point, um, which is interesting. You know, and, and I mean, for me, again, I go back to you know. 
I, I born and raised in South Bend. So, you know, my parents had their, uh, their pleasure boat uh, docked in South Haven for years and years and years. You know, so every, every summer that I spent was um, hanging out in South Haven. Um, I've been to Grand, Grand Haven more times than I could count. I've been to Muskegon, you know, on vacation. I've been to Muskegon for bowling tournaments. I've been to Muskegon for all kinds of things. I mean, the, just this whole area through this is, um, it, it, it just touches so close to home. And then being such a uh, confirmable event with the number of witnesses and the number in, in your experiences, Jack, um, it just, it's amazing. Um, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I, I really had no idea there were that many, uh, until, uh, Unsolved mysteries and, and they told me that there were that many uh, reports. I was, I was really, um, I was really surprised. Um, and so it, 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 it really, it, it made me wonder why it, you know, I mean, I, I, uh, it, it, you know, here it is 30 years later and, uh, um, and it really hasn't been talked about too much. Um, I think part of it was because I, I really didn't, uh, w with me being in the, you know, working for the weather service, I really didn't want, I was very careful about, uh, talking about it too much. I really didn't go on the internet and discuss things about it. Um, uh, the, 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 it wasn't until I was retired when, uh, there was a channel three meteorologist that, uh, that did a anniversary special about it. And he had, um, he had interviewed, uh, a young person, uh, about it from the Grand Rapids, the new Grand Rapids weather forecast office. And they said that, uh, and that person said that I was just looking at anomalous propagation or another word for that, uh, or that's just another word for basically saying that the beam, the radar beam had hit a, an inversion layer and came right back down and hitting the ground. And, and uh, anomalous propagation is the very first thing. I had to make a list of everything it possibly could be and then cross off a you know, what, you know, what it possibly could be. And, 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 and anomalous propagation is the first one I crossed off because I had to, uh, because I, I did see, number one, people were seeing it at the same time I was seeing it. Number two, I had the radar beam um, uh, uh, pointed straight up and uh, uh, um, uh, pointed straight up uh, at, at several degrees where anomalous propagation would not, would not uh, uh, um, be a problem. Uh, the, 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 the steeper at an angle that you go straight up into the atmosphere, the less of a chance that you're going to get the, uh, uh, that anomalous propagation. So, uh, so no, it, 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 you know, there, there are, it was, that was the first thing I crossed off on the list. Yeah. You know. well, I'm going to jump in here, uh, Jack. Uh, excuse me, uh, Bill. I don't know if you've gotten notification of this, but breaking unidentified flying object detected in northern Montana. That would be confirmation of your uh, shutting down of the 
the the airspace mm-hmm. over there. And I'll be honest with you guys, my Discord room is just popping off at the moment. Uh, everybody and their brother is in there talking about this stuff. Um, this is going to be an interesting next couple of days, I'm sure. Yeah, it is. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And, hmm. uh, again, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier to you guys or not, but uh, in last night's Discord room, there was a gentleman who is active U.S. Coast Guard. Uh, he actually put a, a post in here saying that the U.S. Coast Guard did send a flight out, and uh, they were instructed to turn off their transponder in, uh, in route to... Uh, it, it's the U.S. Coast Guard version of a Black Hawk helicopter. And they were in. They were instructed to fly without their transponder on. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like a lot of weird shit going on. And uh, that's not awfully unsafe. I, you know, I was reading about the uh, the transponder, uh, and uh, it, it seemed to me that that you had to get uh, that that for one thing, it was against the law to turn off your your uh, transponder. Uh, now, military, I, I suppose, can do it, but. But it's highly, uh, um, uh, from what I've read, you have to get special clearance to turn off your uh, transponder over the United States, and it has to be of a an extreme event in order to turn off your transponder. Just because Air, Air uh, FAA Air Traffic Control cannot see where what altitude you are, um, you know, due to the uh, aircraft that are in the area. Um, and you wouldn't know what level uh, that that uh, helicopter would be at. Uh, so uh, I have read quite a bit about that, and uh, um, and and that's why I thought, for instance, uh, that there wouldn't there wouldn't be anything going on over uh, that that it would be a military thing because it would be against the law, federal law. For instance, for any military aircraft to turn off their uh, transponder while you were over, especially a populated area like Michigan, it would be extraordinarily uh, negligent and dangerous to turn off your uh, transponder. Um, And that's the way I read it. Um, So for them to turn off their transponder, I don't know why they would do that. That doesn't make much sense uh, that they would do that. And... uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really surprised. Um, there's something more going on to this than if they are turning off their transponder. I, I you know, yeah. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Well, listen, let's, uh, let's wind this up. Jack, uh, again, terrific job on the, on the episode of unsolved mysteries. Uh, okay. it, it will go down as one of my favorite uh, uh, pr- productions of anything that has to do with a UFO. Uh, your story is, um, it's uh, it, it's sad to some extent. Uh, people, if you watch it, um, what happened to him after this uh, was very unfair. Um, but, you know, you're, you're back yeah. in Michigan again, and you are, you are reseated into the the culture of UFOs and you're looking for answers and you're, you're sticking with it. So for that, I thank you. And uh, your, your time has been, uh, 
your your time has been very much appreciated. I know we had sure. a little bit of a problem getting this together, but um, thank you so much. And I, I will. Well, well, come in uh, July 12th uh, in Norton Shores. I'm going to be speaking at uh, the Norton Shores Lot Public Library, and I should have my uh, – uh, it'll be strictly a science paper about how the radar works, how the radar works, and, and basically exactly what I saw in a scientific uh, way. I'm sure I'll get questions about what you do you think it is, but I, I'm going to try to keep it as scientific as possible before I go and then later on, once I get uh, the science out of the way, then then I can uh, start speculating. Uh, but 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 the, the first thing I wanted to do in the science paper was to make a list of, okay, what can it be? And then go down the list and say, this is why I don't think it was this, why I don't think it was air traffic, sure. why it wasn't... Uh, um, you know, uh, uh, anomalous propagation, why it wasn't the military, why it wasn't uh, uh, atmospheric phenomena, uh, because, you know, it was solid objects, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, so it's going to be more scientific, you know, hope, and hopefully, you know, for, for the layman to, to, to understand. And, uh, and so that's my, that's my plan. And that's that. important because, I right. mean, you know, as long as you have a crutch of the, the, the crutch of science to lean against, uh, uh-huh. it, it makes everything else you say, you know, credible. And, you know, and that, unfortunately with a bunch of the different topics that I talk about, like Bigfoot and, you know, all yeah. this stuff, it, there isn't a lot of science you can lean against. Um, you right. know, the academics like Jeff Meldrum and stuff, they, they lean against the, the, the scientific portion of, you know, being able to describe the foot and the morphology and everything. And but it's the other weird parts of it that you can't you can't really lean against the scientific evidence because there is none. Um, so. That, well, let, let's hope that I don't know. Let's see what happens with this. <laughs> I'm, I'm really interested in, yeah. in here going on with this thing going on in Alaska. I, I just hope that again, I hope we didn't make a big mistake in shooting down something that we we uh, uh any anything that would would have been helpful in the future you know uh, yeah in other words I, okay what i'm saying is i hope we didn't shoot down any uh uh entities you know, <laughs> i hope we didn't shoot down anybody that we're gonna piss off and they could kick our ass exactly <laughs> that's we do not want that <laughs> that's what trying to get to without <laughs> yeah all yeah. right gentlemen uh for bill Konkoleski and jack bouchong uh thank you so much for being with us tonight uh that's it for tonight's show i hope you enjoyed our talk with jack and bill uh what an amazing story uh quite a historical event um as far as the scope of of all of it uh, in in the evidence uh, incredibly cool this happened you know less than a half hour drive from me at the southernmost point of this event and uh i i still live there and you know i still i, th- I think back about it and i can't tell you how many times i've watched the episode and and how excited i was to have you guys on to talk about it so thank you thank you thank you so much sure.
sure. Well, I'm I'm always here, and I'm I'm uh, going to be uh, studying this and and trying to figure this out for probably the rest of my life. So, anytime you want to talk, let me know. You will definitely uh, hear from me again, sir. All right, sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good night. Okay. Please don't forget to share the show with others. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family, and share it with your coworkers. Share it on social media, anywhere you can. This helps the show get out in front of more people. And with more people listening means more people coming forward with their experiences. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Uncomfortable Podcast 65. And if you've had an experience and you'd like to have it featured on the show, please contact me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in this week. And as always, my friends, stay uncomfortable.